0: This is Safari Conversations, the Sangeeta podcast. 30 years ago, founder Luke Bales had a dream of creating a pioneering eco-tourism brand that could help save pristine wilderness areas in Africa for future generations. The first chapter in Singita's story started when Ebony Lodge opened in the Sabi Sand in 1993. But truly, it began long before that on a piece of land his grandfather owned and where they spent holidays as a family at Castleton. So much has happened in the last 30 years to where we find ourselves now, owning and managing award-winning lodges across multiple countries in Africa. And we are looking to expand our conservation impact even further, working alongside conservation NGO partners. Welcome to our podcast, where you'll meet some of the very talented people who make our life-changing safaris a reality.
1: Jumbo, everyone. My name is Irene Diu, an assistant lodge manager at Sasaka Lodge. I'm here today with Betty Molel, a front of house at Serengeti House. Now, today's podcast is about celebrating a lifelong love of food at Singita, Tanzania and Rwanda. I've got two phenomenal women and chefs in East Africa. Mia Nithlin, who is based in Tanzania, and Vani Padayesh, who is also based in Rwanda. Welcome, everyone. So, Mia, let's start with you. Tell us about your background and what brought you to Singeta. Morning,
2: ladies. Thank you so much. My chefing career started in South Africa. I've always loved food, and we grew up with food um, at home. It was quite an important part of our lives. My mother was a phenomenal cook and so I think there's the love that started for food. I trained at the ICA in Stellenbosch, worked a little bit in Cape Town and then moved to England where I worked all over the world basically in restaurants and private homes and about five years ago I got asked to come and do a one-month stint at St. for VIP guests at Serengeti House and um, <laughs> the one month stint turned into a five year stint and I am still at Sengita. Um I started off as the head chef at Mara River Tended Camp and about six months after that got promoted into executive chef. So I oversee all the lodges in Tanzania um, and look after all the food and the chefs and the kitchens and that is how my journey at Singita started a one-month stint.
1: Oh, that's really fascinating, Vani, uh, What about you? I suppose you have got a different journey to share with us.
3: <laughs> Good morning, ladies, from a cloud-covered Singita Volcano National Park. Very misty morning this morning. It's Fabulous. Um, so my journey started at home. <laughs> Grew up in a very large Indian family, very conservative, and it was always around food and gathering. Went to hotel school. In Durban, studied hotel and catering management, didn't know if I want to be front of house or in the kitchen. And then I realized I was terrified of speaking in front of people so I could speak in the kitchen and language, food of love. Then went off to Cape Town to do in-service training and then never looked back. Uh, went and traveled around the world as well, it's like culinary journey. And then came back home to South Africa to open restaurants and cookery school. And then I took a sabbatical year and um, was asked to just fill in for three months, a short three-month stint at um, Serengeti. And that's, I'm on my fifth year doing my long stint in Singita. So that's where it all started. Ladies, this is very exciting and inspiring. And given
4: that Singita lodges are all located in remote areas, I can't imagine where you all get your foods because you literally deliver world-class level food to the guests. And I've never heard Mia saying no to a guest when a guest is asking probably for a shrimp or anything Mia is asked. She's like, yes, yes, we have I would really love to hear that from Mia.
2: Yeah, I think we are quite fortunate of where our lodges are situated because it's so beautiful and we are also so lucky with the local produce that we get. But being so remote definitely has got its challenges. And I think the one thing that you have to be is agile, you know, agility, think on your feet, you order something and your supplier just can't deliver it. Um, And then you have to change your menu last minute guests, you know, coming into the bush, and then they would like certain things. So constantly thinking on your feet. And, you know, even when guests mention things, you sometimes run to the kitchen and hop onto Google to try and see, okay, this is what they want, but this is what I have, and how can I make it work? So I think alongside that is creativity and innovation, just because you have to innovate and create dishes out of nothing sometimes. And we get limited ingredients at times, um, very seasonal. If you get a tomato, you have to think of seven ways that you can cook a tomato, you know, that would be palatable for our guests or exciting. So definitely inno- innovation, creativity, agility. And then the biggest thing I think is passion. You have to be so passionate about what you do, getting up in the morning Days can be tough. You know, we're in beautiful places, but there's there's really days where you have to go and dig deep. And that is where the passion comes in, where you walk in there and you're like, okay, let's just give it all. And I think those are, for me, the most important sort of aspect. And then just training, constant training of our teams and our staff and looking at what we need to do. So that would be my top tips if you want to survive in the middle of nowhere and still serve world-class food?
3: Mia, tips noted on this side. (laughs) It's true. You know, you've got to think on your feet. You've got to be um, so alert. Guests arrive even though we don't have a dietary for them and then all of a sudden I can only eat this or I don't do this and so you got to really, really, really think on your feet. And what's great here at Singita at um, the Volcano National Park is that we have Carabo Garden, which we harvest 80% of our menu daily, breakfast, lunch, and dinner from there. Just what we need so we can keep the garden going. But also placing dry good orders, it's quite difficult um, to think f- so far in ahead. So we literally place an order two weeks in advance, um, know what our guests that whom's coming into lodge in the next month also be very proactive and asking suppliers to source things that we can't get. So your relationship for your supplier needs to be your best best friend. And what's great about this as well, it's. Like Nia said, you've got to have passion for your job. You know, it's quite important. So at the Volcano National Park, this is how we roll literally every day.
1: All of this really sounds like there's a lot of proper planning and consideration when it comes to delivering a world glass food of service. I mean, I want to take you back to where we all said we came on a temporary basis and now we are all stuck here. I remember I had the same story. I came here for four months (laughs) and now I've got four years and still counting. (laughs) And Ossingita is celebrating 30 years this year. And it really makes me wonder how food has evolved over all those years. Please can you enlighten us?
3: Irene, you know, I started with Sangeeta, or my first stint with Sangeeta was in 1996 at Ebony. So that was a long time ago. Many moons ago, but it's so refreshing. I went back last year when I was Sangeeta's roaming head chef, And being in various kitchens um, in Singita property, and I look back at one year, how much the food is involved. I mean, in 1996, Ebony was doing poikikos and bush dinners, a lot of that. And food, it was quite bulky. It was not much fresh produce, but also currently now we as chefs are given so much freedom In the kitchen and we can create, um, so much the African influence, the ingredients we're currently getting, what we can harvest from our garden here. Sustainable. I mean, we're growing mushrooms right now. We've got two mushroom huts and with the harvest of first yield was about 185 kilos of mushrooms. What do I do with that? But I've learned how to cook mushrooms 12 different ways, and I'm sure I could find more ways to cook mushrooms. <laughs> but we grow sustainable. Our produce is amazing. And what else can I say? You know, we, we buy from women farmers, which is great. Small groups, but they'll bring you like, a basket full of something. And then you go, yes, I will take it. I I can create this, but what is it? Tell me what is it. And Mia, I found a kosher shop in Kigali. I'll be sending you kosher ingredients. Okay, that is super
2: exciting, Farney. I will definitely tap into that. And if I find a legal way to bring 180 kilos of mushrooms across the border without anyone being locked up, um, sign me up for that as well. <laughs> it's something that there's nothing better than the fresh produce that we can find in our own gardens. And I think, you know, just looking at the last 30 years, the food started off as quite sort of as Vani said, you know, heavy and lots of protein and not a lot of freshness. I think we've moved through a transition where it was quite sort of, you know, foams and dust and things like that. And then we really found our own sort of rhythm. And it's so true to who we are. And It's so evident on the menus that we cook of, you know, we put ourselves on the menu and what we like and taking back the way your mother used to cook something, but in a very sort of healthy and wholesome and holistic way. And I think that is the direction that food has gone in as well. It's always been lots of carbohydrates. We're looking now at the season, a lot of vegans coming in and we've just adapted to it. And now it's just what we do daily, gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, low sugar. It comes natural to us. It's not something, you know, we had an agent emailing us and saying, guests are coming. Do they need to bring their own milk alternatives? It's things that we use daily now and we have evolved in sort of trying to be ahead and innovate and think ahead of what our guests need that when they come to us that they will feel whole and healthy when they leave. And I think that's a lovely way of how it's, it's changed that we are so mindful of what we serve. And I think a lot of the times what we are really trying to do with the food at, you know, here is to bring people together and evoke those memories Um something a couple of weeks ago i went up to the mara and we went for a game drive and mara river does this beautiful delicious toasted egg and bacon sandwiches for packed breakfast and guests just love it even though we offer them other things they always want the same and then when they come this side in grumetti Then they'll go like, oh, but is it possible to like do the Mara toasted sandwich? So they're quite known for that, which is lovely. But on that specific morning, I was with a guest and he sort of took the first bite and sort of stopped and just said, you know, this brings back so many memories. When I used to go with my dad in school holidays to work, my mother used to make us an egg and bacon sandwich like this. And I had like a very stumpy milky with it. And... It, it was so lovely because his father's passed away, but it brought back those memories. And I think that's what's so wonderful at Sankita that we really make people feel that they're at home, but we also give back to them in a way that they don't even realize. You know, at, in our room cordials, we have bobab. We have teas after massage. We use local herbs. And it's just these subtle touches, I think, that we do throughout in the wholeness space to make us feel sort of, you know, once they leave, they feel better than when they arrived. And I think that is lovely to see that that is how it has changed over the last 30 years.
1: Oh, wow, Mia, that's really fascinating. Uh, I suppose Vani has got a different journey to share with us. Vani, let's hear from you.
3: Yeah. So I grew up predominantly in a vegetarian home. And I remember as a child, I used to pick all the vegetables out. So the biryani, a vegetable biryani has got like seven different types of vegetables. And I remember picking them out and just eating the rice and the potatoes. And my grands is like, okay. Um, she took the veggies and mushed it up and put it in a chapati in a chapati or roti and rolled it up and gave it to me to eat it. And I was like, yum. And that, believe it or not, I'm now a vegetarian close to becoming a vegan.
4: She's are really on top of their game. And with the global focus of their health and wellness at the moment, where in a singita world, it's a wholeness. Vani, would you enlighten this for us and how this is applicable in Rwanda.
3: You know, Rwanda is more plant-based. Guests come here and they, we want to eat what the locals eat. And I say, well, our locals, we are 80% plant-based and guest says, no, we will eat that. And I'm like, okay, because you know, right here, the baboons, the golden monkey, gorillas, they are vegans. But, you know, we... I do an amazing um sorghum risotto. So instead of using risotto, we use local grains to make a beautiful risotto. We keep everything very healthy, very plant-based. And people are happy to try something different that they've not tried back home. And they love what we do with ingredients that they would take as normal ingredients and just cook basic, simple thing like a dal. We would do a dal croquette. And people wonder, but not sure about this, but we'll try it. So yeah, we, we do very simple, very home cooked and local ingredients.
2: Yeah, Vani, I think also here with a wholeness, it's just taking from the earth, growing our own things, working with suppliers to really ensure that we get sort of organic pesticide free. We are very mindful of what ingredients we use and where we use it. Wholeness with us is something that we don't want to force the guests. You know, we just want to do it that they don't have to make that decision that they want to eat healthier. We change processed sugars out for natural sugars we sort of make the dishes a little bit lighter without the carbs and use a lot more fresh vegetables Um, we sort of quite careful of what proteins we use how often do we use protein and I think that's all little touch points and without even them knowing It's coming through that we are serving them some really incredible produce here. Working with suppliers, going to pick fresh spinach out of the garden, making smoothies for them. And I think that's just, yeah, that's how we do wholeness, I think, without forcing it on someone. And I think that's what's important.
1: Uh, You know, I've always thought of uh, chefs are always to be blamed with when we have got all the mess made by the monkeys and the baboon around because food is always the reason the monkeys are doing that. I mean, seeing a monkey going to the guest table, sneaking, stealing some food. I mean, if food wasn't there, we wouldn't have been seeing all of these scenarios. I totally agree with you, Irene. We should
4: blame Mia and Vani and the rest of the team about the baboons and monkeys making it a mess because myself serving a guest, if it's a snack I'm carrying and then a baboon attacks me because they are after the food, but if I'm working with a guy, they wouldn't attack me. So really, Vani and Mia, we should have a meeting or something about this because, um, it's because of you. And I really think the guides should train the um, the baboons and monkeys to respect the ladies. Have some respect on us.
3: We run the world. Over here, with it always being cloud covered or mostly cloud covered and rainy, we have a lot of frogs in the kitchen. They hop around, even on the road. We got to be so careful. So in the kitchen, we just, I just like, oh, I used to be super terrified of frogs, you know. It's like what can it do? It's like so I just gently pick it up and I was like go outside and vop quickly into the pond or into the bush or in the garden. But I remember my terrifying funniest moments was when I was at um Sabayaya in Gourmetti and I was in the kitchen, and I thought, oh, just open the kitchen. Look how beautiful day it is and fun. And I'm like, oh, the sun is out. Let's open the kitchen windows, fresh air. And then chefs are looking at me like this crazy chef. What is she doing? And then the next thing, I just, yelled, banging and clanking, and chefs are like, it's like, out, out. And I'm like, what? And turn around. His baboon stole the freshly baked bread from the kitchen counter. I'm like, are you kidding me? That for me was too hilarious. I mean, I was like, never again will I open a window in Gourmeti. Never again. Me, I'm sure you've got much more to say on that one. You closer up there.
2: Uh, it's not just windows. They just open a door um, and walk into the kitchen. So uh we had... A uh, fish cargo that arrived and we were just finishing wrapping up the last of the tuna. And this baboon literally just opened the kitchen door, walked in, just looked at us, took a whole fillet of tuna and walked out and sat in a tree munching on it. So uh baboons, monkeys. But I think my sort of funniest and I guess sometimes irritating moments were at uh, Mara where The kitchen's in a tent, so at night we would clean down and empty bins, etc., and then zip up the tents. And one morning I walked in and the zips were all sort of torn and broken, and we had no bins in the kitchen. And then we realized hyenas broke into the kitchen to steal the bins. No food in, and they just carried it out into the bushes, and we had to take, I think it took us about 45 minutes to try and find our bins. and. It happened the second day and didn't matter what we tried to do. They just kept on coming in. So I gave up and I ordered bright bins, red ones, yellow ones, and blue ones. So that if they carry or when they carried them away into the bushes, we could at least see them from a distance and we didn't have to actually spend a lot of time trying to find our bins. So I think that was that was the craziest with hyenas, carrying my bins away.
3: I can just imagine that. I can, my mind is visually picturing (laughs) these hyenas with its bin, with your bin on the back of his shoulder trying to like lug it around.
2: (laughs) I know. And the funny thing was there was nothing in it. So I don't know, maybe the smell or something, but yeah, they funny shaped animals as it is. And then you try and picture them carrying a bin away. So yeah, we should do a cartoon on that actually. And then I also know, I think at La Bombo, the honey badgers that drank all the gin. And then I think I also got told in lockdown, they were trying to make like pineapple beer. And again, a honey badger broke in and stole all the pineapple beer. So somehow I feel honey badgers has got a thing for alcohol.
1: So we all know that we have been guided by our Singita 100 years purpose. And just to enlighten our listeners, our 100 years purpose is about preserving and protecting the large areas of African wilderness for our future generation. And our main focus is always on the conservation, community and sustainability. But I want us to dig deep into how sustainability is deeply ingrained in the kitchen side from the head chefs down to all the staff. How does that work?
2: Yeah, I think for us, you know, we all live by the one planet principles. We all get guided by that. And it's not just the animals that we have to protect and preserve. It's also the land and the people. And that comes through the sustainability and education, the buy-in, how we drive a sustainable lifestyle. And, In the kitchen, there's a lot of things that we use, you know, that we have to be aware of for sort of pollution and water consumption and what do we do with the leftover food and how do we manage all of that. And once we share and teach the people sort of the principles, and it's something that we practice every day in the kitchens, and it's so lovely that they would then take that back home and teach their families that you know how to look after the land. And we have a co-op here called Comarcos, which is started in two thousand and fifteen, and it is a corporation of farmers that surrounds the Grimetti reserves. And we spend a lot of time in training them up in how to produce. Uh, fruit and vegetables for us we get about 75 to 80 percent of our fruit and vegetables from them we now have 98 members which is incredible if you think about it and then they have 98 family members that work for them and then they you know look after 98 more family members and so it carries on and I think that's what's so wonderful and then they start their little shambas so shambas are little farms to sell and just feed their own families and just how to really work the land. And I think that is something on a small scale that we can give back to sustainability. And we have a word here in Tanzania called tukapamoja and it means we are together and together we will reach our 100-year purpose. And that is so lovely. And I think we can't do it alone, none of us. And I've learned so much Living in Tanzania and really looking at frugal innovation, we are literally in the middle of nowhere and the villages and how we can help. And I read up on this really cool thing that I actually want to look into and see how we can maybe get some of the farmers in Comacos to help. And it's a solar operated dehydrator. So when they harvest the tomatoes that's in season, They can dry them out and then sell them later when this, you know, it's the rainy season and they don't have it. And I think there's such potential and exciting things out there on the sustainability front for us. And we just need to keep pushing. And I, I get super excited about these things because you can also see the drive and the passion from the people here that want to learn more and they are eager to want to change things with you. And to me, that is so inspiring. And I just want to every day look at how we can make it better and how we can leave the land better than the way that we found it. And I think
3: that is a big drive. Rwanda is one of the first African countries to be totally plastic free so we're a plastic free zone it starts at the airport when I first got to Rwanda you know as typical traveler we'd always cover everything at those plastic wraps at the airport and when I got to Rwanda I was told to remove it it took me aback and but then it like very quickly it's like remembered hey I remember reading about this and then here we recycle everything all our trimmings from the kitchens um goes into a big our compost heap that's at the garden, and then we after six weeks, we actually use that compost in our garden, so we are totally no pesticides. And all the food um, that's left over from guest plates, um, that goes to a pick farm. We take that three times a week. And also, we have a little thing, a ceremony when guests leave. Uh, we invite them to Akaraba Nursery to plant a tree because we are reforestationing back the, the forest, bringing it back to lodge. <laughs> so every tree has a name and um we will bring them back you know we'll bring the forest back uh, all the staff as well they're very conservative and very much into our 100 year principle and we look after what we do what how we step and where we do what you know switching off lights the conserving water and even our simple thing like the eggshells, we don't throw it away. It goes into our compost dip, which is full of nutrients that goes back into our garden. Wow. I really see that Singita does preach and
4: practice one planet. And I personally consider food as love as it brings unity and connects people. And as you ladies have mentioned earlier about educating and changing lives, it made me think about our Singita Community Culinary School, where we have the youngsters trained and prospering. Mia, will you dig deep into this with us? The
2: SCCS, so Singita Community Culinary School, started in 2007 in South Africa, and we opened after that in 2015 a school in Grometi, and then in 2020, one in Rwanda. So we've got three of them currently. And just in South Africa, from the time that it started up to date, we have graduated 103 students. And I think that is just so incredible because we are literally making and producing chefs for Africa. You know, there's always where people leave Africa to go abroad, to go and study and train and become a chef and then hopefully they will come back to Africa. But now we are saying no, we're gonna actually produce wonderful world-class chefs for Africa in Africa from Africans. And that is very exciting. We've got, as I said, one in Rwanda, South Africa, and Tanzania. And it's definitely on the cards wherever we open that we'll definitely open a community country school in those countries because what better way to give back to Africa? And we've got such talent here and such amazing people and produce to work with that it's something that we should actually be so proud of and it's so lovely to see how they are growing into these wonderful humans and them spending time in our kitchens and they fi- they all find someone that they want to be like you know a mentor or a idol you know they'd say here we have Michael Matero has got an incredible story from when he started as a laborer building tent tented camp and he's now one of our head chefs here and an incredible person and they all if you ask them they either want to be Michael Matera or they want to be the mama that cooks at the EEC because when they were at school we used to take them to the EEC there so the educational center for the Grimetti Fund and she would cook there for them. And so that's the only other person they know that is linked to Sankita <laughs> that can cook delicious food. So that comes up a lot. Um, in, if you ask, so who would you like to be like one day? Um, that's the two that they really sort of pick. And then, you know, through education, it's not just the SCCS students. I've got Moses, who is a sous chef, and we just qualified him through the Prue Leith, who we have now affiliated with to do our accreditation. And it's a diploma in chefing. And what is so wonderful is once they finish, we can literally send them anywhere in the world and they can get a work permit and they can go and get experience. And I think that is something that we are also proud of that we've reached that point that we can give back something so meaningful to them. And Moses is just qualified in exactly the same qualification so that he could teach the students. And so it's not just the school. We are looking at getting the rest of our chefs qualified so that they also feel like, yes, you know, we've worked here 18 years, but we've got something behind our names. And I think that is giving back to people here. To make them feel proud. They've worked so hard to get where they are. And that's always exciting for me. Education is a wonderful tool um, and it really enriches people's lives. And that is something that we are definitely getting right.
3: Wow, well, Mia, just listening to that, I'm like already more inspired than normal. <laughs> so here in Rwanda, we are on our third consort of intake of students. Our first lot of students all have been employed around in Kigali, um, down south Bugesera Way, and we've taken on two students. And one student that really has shone through is Giselle. I've literally said to her, Giselle, you are now our spokesperson for the School of Cookery, you know, so it's quite important. And she's like, chef, I don't know how to do this. And I said, you can do this. You can do this. So whenever we have our meetings with um, local leaders here, we always take Giselle with, and she can tell the story of where she's come from. I mean, A youngster from the neighboring village, mom and dad, farmers and wanted more for her. And also she wanted more than just being a farmer's daughter. And she applied and became one of our students. And then three years later, she is actually our new demi commie chef. So demi CDP, which is great. She's really shone. And then um, I've taken on two more students from last year's um, consort. And I've just looked in a few days ago at the new intakes. These guys are so cute, man. They are so young, so shocked and so intrigued about everything in the kitchen, like a bowl, a whisk. Unbelievable. And I'm sure you've got that there with the new intakes.
2: Yeah, 100%. It's this innocence that they come into. And what's so exciting, uh, same as you, we just uh, take our eight students from the neighboring 23 villages of Grimetti Reserve. So it's really looking after the, the people around us and giving them that education. But it's, it's them arriving and like, yeah, I get goosebumps, um, when they arrive and I normally cry in interviews because I yeah. want to give everyone a chance and I can only give eight. So Michael always say to me, Oh, mama, you shouldn't be in these interviews. I said, I can't help myself, <laughs> you know, and that is also what's so wonderful is because it's a community project and it, you know, we get donors and funding to keep the school going. And I think that is what is so important for us is to really put it out there. You know, it's it's a project that we work on that is solely funded by donors. And um, that is why it is so important for us to really showcase, like you do with Gisela in, in Rwanda, is how we change lives. And I think that's what's so wonderful.
1: Chefs, uh, you must really be proud of yourself. I mean, listening to all of this, I'm also, I I feel so thrilled hearing about all of these stories. You know, it makes someone feel good when you have trained them from where they came from when they had a little knowledge about food. And then you see them prospering into being very great chefs. That's always amazing. I mean, even from the large front, even when we chat to the guests, about all these projects that we do and then involving the Singita Community Culinary School. We talk about, we have great chefs that have started from scratch and now they have prospered. Seeing Michael Matera, a head chef, go- always going to the guests and speaking to them about their food experience. And then they start having the casual talks and then the guests finding out more about his journey. And then we end up getting all of these feedbacks of how great we are doing with educating their communities and getting them where they are. So really well done, chefs, and please keep up doing it. And I know we have always made it a culture of chefs leaving the kitchen after getting their hands dirty, uh, approaching the guests and just to ask them how they are feeling about the food experience. I would really like to know how it always makes you feel and What's the outcome always when you chat to them?
3: Up here, we have chef's table or chef's counter. And what's great is that the guests actually sit right in front of a live cooking station. And we put a plate in front of them and that plate becomes a creation. And guests are always in awe. And whenever it is local night, we have guests sitting at the counter and Talking to the chefs, so the chefs chats to the guests and tell them you know where this dish came from and it's never we never have a recipe for local dishes because it's whoever's on duty it 's their mum 's recipe or grandma 's recipe what they 've cooked at home is what we feed the guests and guests are always in awe that they 're actually eating something that is so local and so it 's the essence of Rwanda and it 's always our students that I push in front, you know, like, come on, you can talk to guests. And that's how you're going to get the training and the confidence. And I always say that guests arrive as guests, but they leave as friends. They leave as family. They're always communicating with you. Oh, I I remember this recipe we had on the trekking. Um, I remember this uh, granola bar. Please can I have the recipe? And then I send off the recipe and what's they say, well, I don't have this in the country. What can I use? And I like to research and say, okay, try this instead of that, you know, and then I went, wait, let me try it as well. So I create new recipes that way by just chatting to guests. So yeah, they leave as friends. I
2: think it's so lovely building that the relationship with a guest. And for some reason, guests just love when chefs come out and they, it doesn't matter what happened. If you put a chef in front of the guest, somehow we always sort of can change things. And I guess it comes back from, you know, we feeding them. And so it's the love, it's the care, you know, we the people that's looking, at, you know, if they feel like a burger, we give it to them. And I think it's that family caring. And I think that's why they love a chef because we're looking after their tummies. And it's really so important to send out the more junior chefs as well, building that confidence, having to go out, talk to the guests. And at the end of the day, they're the ones that's actually prepping and producing the food. And to see when they return back to the kitchen with this massive smile on their faces, because, you know, they've just had all the praise for the food that they've done and the hard work that they've put in. And they just have a, like a, I don't know, it's this excitement and They can't stop smiling and that creates then this momentum of, you know, it doesn't matter if we work 18 hours a day. The guests love what we're doing and they appreciate it. It's that appreciation, I think, that comes through if you spend 16 hours in the kitchen or you've had a hard day. And then, you know, even if a guest asks for something else, you're like, of course, of course, because, you know, they appreciate it. And I think that is what's so lovely the way that we do that, and communicating and bringing that families feel back, and that there's people that care you know they can put a face to the food, the people that's looking after them, and it's always so wonderful in the feedback forms that guests leave that they they mention people by name, and in Sankita it's a family business, and we want to run it as a family, you know it's it's so important and When you know people's names, it becomes so much more personal and familiar. And I think that's what's so lovely, that it's not just a chef, but it's Zakaria that cooked my maharagi for me.
4: Wow, ladies, for sure. Every effort, every detail that you put in the kitchen with your team, it never goes unnoticed because I myself, I can't count the numbers of feedback that guests hand over to me, especially when they're leaving or probably a night where we introduce a Swahili night to the guests and um, the interaction that we have from the staff because Um, Most times it's us serving the guests and us telling the stories, especially if it's a menu. Mia, your menus are written in Swahili, in different Swahili words. And we do explain to each guest um, saying what the ingredients are and how we eat it. And it brings so much memories to us and how the guests interact into the table. It's always very fun for me. Because I can imagine having my dinner at Grand Hyatt with a fork and a knife, bringing all the clean food. And Swahili food, it's a bit different because we get messy with our hands. And speaking of Swahili food and the menus, I've seen the introduction of African flavors in the food Mia and Vani. And I'd really love to hear why and how does that work. Um, I'd love to hear the response. How do the guests react to that?
3: Our guests are loving it. You know, they they arrive here and they go, we want to eat local. And so I said, okay, we'll have something, we'll have essences of local. So on our Rwandese night, we start off with this amazing dance, the flight of the bird, and then we do green banana croquette and we'll do sambaza with a pili pili aioli, and then it goes on to a kachambari salad and a brochette, and then we'll do a, also green banana and chicken stew, and guests are like, green banana, what is that? And I was like, well, it's a young banana, you know, before this, it gets sweet. So, like, how do you explain that? But, and then we use a lot of grains, a lot of pulses, um, sorghum, uh, millet, some quinoa, and guests are always, uh, what is this? It's all our local grains and cassava, which guests are saying, Uh, We do some cassava chips or some taro root chips and guests are saying, well, can we have it as a snack? Can we take it with us? And we go, yes, I can pack it for you. It's it's all good. (laughs) And uh, we had guests saying this morning, well, can we take some home with us? And I'm going, I don't think border control will allow you in. So rather just eat as much as you want and I'll pack you a snack pack and you can have it on the way to Kigali, but try and finish it. Don't sneak it in your Bag, we make a typical dukkah spice and i add other ingredients in there to just jazz it up a savory granola with pop sorghum that looks like popcorn and guess what is this and it's like try it so our new african influence is taking us to a whole new journey mia i'm sure exciting stuff is happening up there Yeah, this is
2: another topic I think I can speak for for hours and days. I have really embraced this new African cuisine that we are going the direction and the food philosophy and style that we're heading into. And I think we've realized, you know, we can be proud of what we produce and what we have in Africa. And we should be proud. And we should celebrate it and we should share it with the rest of the world. We've always been hiding and it should be Italian or it should be French and, you know, you can't serve African food. But... I've seen with repeat guests that's come back since we sort of introduced these flavors and they're loving it. And no one's saying, can we go back to what we used to eat? Because also we've been quite clever of how we've adapted the produce into our menus to make it a little bit more palatable for our guests. We would use it in a mayonnaise, um, you know, as a spice, or we've got this (laughs) chichando and uh, chips eye on the breakfast menu. So, Chips my eye is a street food um, that we eat in Tanzania, and you can literally find it anywhere on every corner. And it's an open fried omelette with like two day old French fries that they fry, and then they sort of cook it into the open fried omelette that gets served with chachando, which is like a spicy tomato sauce. Same as you guys in Rwanda, we also have a kachumbari, which is an onion and a tomato salad. And it is one of the most popular dishes on breakfast because, you know, it's familiar, but it's done in a really sort of modern way. So guests don't go like, I'm not so sure about this. So it's really been a natural transition for us. And before we started season, I had a sort of training session with the guides because, as I said before, the sort of wholeness that we're trying to create is really bringing the outside indoors as well and trying to explain to them that when you're out on a drive and you pass a tamarind tree you know go and pick it let them see it let them taste it and understand you know there's nothing better when you are in nature and you pick it and that smell and the feel and the the dust and the heat, it creates these memories. And it's something that when you have tamarind anywhere else later, it's going to take you right back to that. And that's really what we were trying to do also with wholeness, is to really bring you down and connect with the earth, connect with nature and really feel it. And I think there's no better way than also incorporating the outside to the inside in our new African menus and bringing those ingredients to us so that we could use it. And I sort of rambled on and I explained to them what I would like them to do. And then I sort of just threw a couple of random names and I said, and queme, queme is my new favorite ingredient. And all of their eyes went like, how do you know about queme? And queme is a wonderful thing. I mean, I think it's so versatile. It's called an oyster nut and it grows up against trees. So it's really... Conservation through food because people won't chop the tree off if there's a queme plant growing against it because they can get more money year in and year out. Then, with a queme, you can make flour, so you can do gluten-free breads. We have a quemella, which is like a Nutella made with organic chocolate. Uh, we have a queme vinegar. You can fry the kweme in a pan, little pan fried as a little savory snack. You can make a milk alternative. You can make a yogurt with it. I mean, it's endless. It's really my my favorite. And we had a little break and they came in and they were like, okay, so my friend can supply you kweme and we can get you this ingredient there. And I think that's what's so exciting is to really get the people to be proud of what we have here. We use the local names on the menus and it's it's such a lovely storytelling moment around it with guests because the Banacheles would explain what their dish is and that gives them the opportunity to form that bond and relationship with the guest, saying, you know, this is how my grandmother used to make it. This is how we cook it. And again, it's just that sort of, you know, really making it connect with what we are doing and you can see how proud they are. And we just own it. And I think because we own it and we put it out there and we're so proud and saying this is who we are, this is how we're going to do it, it just comes natural and no one questions it. And I think that is what's so wonderful.
4: Ladies, have mercy on us. I'm literally starting to get hungry right here. <laughs> Speaking of all this food and me the way you make kweme sound delicious. And I remember growing up, um, we used to burn the quemes and just pop the seed out and then eat it. And I look forward to try the quemela. And I'm sure guests are really adventurous and want to try everything. I, I, I would do the same myself. And I remember Irene, she she brags a lot about pilau, that spiced food. Um she brags a lot of making the best pilau. I don't know. She's okay, but Mia and I Mia and your team you could do better. Remind
1: us, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, not bragging. I've really growing up, um I've always loved staying in the kitchen with my mom when she was cooking. And the only thing that I loved to cook was pilau. So I think I learned a lot from her. And now when we are at home, if mom wants to have uh, pilau uh, spiced rice, she will be like, Irene is going to cook it because she has mustard. So be careful. You're going to find me in the kitchen one day with a chef jacket. (laughs) Maybe
4: next time, Mia, the next Swahili food is on Irene. (laughs) I think so. When I'm short
2: of chefs, Irene, I'm going to call you in. No, but (laughs) jokes aside, I think it's so incredible to use the people around us to come and teach us. You know, we are all here to learn. And it's so wonderful that people would come. I remember I had pumpkin leaves in the kitchen and I I was trying to think of things hard to cook with this because it's not an ingredient that I'm used to and we're working with this lovely group of ladies called Heritage Food in Arusha and it's also just female farmers and they are trying to bring back all the ancient grains and ancient fruit and ancient vegetables and so I have these ingredients and I spent I think two days trying many ways with pumpkin leaves and eventually one of my chefs Monica walked up uh, I said, this tastes, I don't know, like I just can't cook this. It's its tough and not tasty. She said, oh, yeah, you're cooking it the wrong way. I'm like, okay, but hello, I've been standing here for two days trying to taste this. She said, let me show you how my mother used to cook it. And I mean, it was the most delicious thing. She cooked it almost like a cream spinach, but with with peanuts. So it's like a peanutty, creamy spinach, But with pumpkin leaves and obviously we get cashews here um, by the tons and we put some cashews in. So, Irene, you are more than welcome in the kitchens to come and teach us your special pilau.
1: I can't wait. I can't wait. But there should be no one in the kitchen so that they couldn't see the mess that I'm making. (laughs) Especially myself. All in all, I think food really plays an important role to our lives. And I always like to tell the guests, I crack a joke with them, like when they are visiting us, all they have to do with us is safari and food. And they all laugh. We end up laughing because we feed them a lot. And it's very interesting to hear that a certain dish can be cooked in so many different ways. Vani, it was so interesting to hear about how you can cook the mushrooms in so many ways and (laughs) that's so lovely uh thank you ladies thank you betty mia and vani and a massive thank you to our listeners to our safari conversations the singita podcast until next time bye
0: thank you for listening If you want to follow other episodes of our podcast series, Safari Conversations, please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from or on our website at singida.com.